This uh, is my gym bag. It's my gym bag. Um, I'm trying to use it more in the new year. Anybody else? Can I get a witness? Can I have a piece of cake? Um, <clears throat> but I pretty religiously, when I use it and I come home from the gym, I pretty religiously uh, clean it out, take my dirty clothes out, put them in the clothes hamper, because one time I didn't. And I don't know why. I, we were, you know, we were busy. We had little kids. I was less responsible. It just sat there in the corner of the bedroom, zipped up for a, till the weekend and the next weekend and weeks went by. You ever done this? Or I'm the only stupid one in the room? Okay. Um, and, uh, and it just sat there, I don't know, maybe a month or two-ish. Um, until finally I kind of had one of those Saturdays where you're like, okay, let's clean up the room, you know, let's straighten everything up, get it. And I unzipped the bag. And an odor that would beckon the underworld <laughs> filled the air. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was awful. I, I'm not even sure that I kept the clothes. I may have thrown them away. And the bag needed fumigating. And I mean, I wiped it out. I sprayed it with Lysol. I let it air out. I emptied a bottle of Febreze on it. You know, what? have you ever done that on something? Just because you can't stick it in the wash. And I just, I was unsure that I was ever going to get the stink out of my gym bag. Because... I had not emptied it when I should have. I zipped it up, and it just festers. That's a good old word, isn't it? <clears throat> it just festers when you zip something up, when you close something up. It gives the bacteria, it gives the bacteria a time to take root, to really grow, and it just festers, and it just stinks and conflict isn't much different if you zip conflict up in your heart in your gut and you close it up and you think it's going to be okay but what happens is it just festers it just festers deep down inside of you it's not reasonable to think that you are not going to encounter conflict. It is nigh unto impossible to avoid conflict. Not only for your life, but like every week. It's just part of life. That's why we're not calling this series Avoiding Conflict, because we would all fail at it. You can't avoid it. We have disagreements. We disagree at work about whether we should do this thing or that thing we disagree in our families we disagree with our friend groups disagreements tension conflict simply happens life gets a little grit and grime on it and a little grit grime and sweat never hurt anybody you can wash the gym clothes at night but if you zip it up and you leave it it's just gonna fester it's trouble it's gonna end up smelling foul 
And I want to make the point today that I believe is really the message of the message, the message of the scripture that we're going to read today, but I want to give it to you right at the beginning if you promise to stick with me because we're going to unpack this a little bit, and that is that unresolved conflict doesn't disappear, it just digs deeper. That's why we don't resolve conflict, right? We, we think, we hope, you know, I'll just ignore it, it'll disappear, it'll go away. But unresolved conflict doesn't disappear, it actually digs deeper. Today is especially about conflict with those that we are often closest to. This passage that we're going to read in the book of Ephesians is directed at the church, but it's equally, it's equally relevant to our families and it's in our families, it's in our churches, it's in our offices, it's in those people that we're closest to that we see every day or see every week where we're most likely to not handle conflict and let it fester because it's uncomfortable to bring up, right? It's uncomfortable to deal with. Sometimes family members don't talk to one another for years. Sometimes it's over something someone said to grandma. Or that thing that happened when you were figuring out the inheritance. Or that thing that happened that one Christmas. I've known church members go to different services just to avoid each other at all costs because of the passion of a comment in a committee meeting. I've known parents in a church of two different teenagers who dated in the youth group. Oh man, when kids in the youth group start dating. Because what happens when teenagers date? They break up. And then they break up. And there becomes this weird conflict between these otherwise reasonable adults over 16-year-old romance. And there's conflict. And sometimes one parent, group of parents leave the church because of this conflict. Or they just bury it and they don't talk about it. And they were used to be friends and now they're not friends anymore. Maybe you've got one like that, and it's festered. It hasn't disappeared. It just kind of digs deeper, and every time you see them at the grocery store or every time their post scrolls up on your feed or every time you hear their name, that smell fills your nostrils of the conflict. And the Apostle Paul gives some very specific directions and instructions of how this is not the way for Christ's followers. He warns that it is more than just festering. He warns that this is tells of a deep, dark, supernatural problem that digs deeper. He warns that it, it's not just going to fester. There are going to be deep, dark, supernatural issues and he urges believers to live in a different way, especially with friends and family. So the passage we're going to look at is in the end of Ephesians 4. Now, I love the book of Ephesians. I love it. And I, I hope this week that you'll read some of it. I hope you'll especially read chapter 4. So let me just kind of tell you about the beginning of the book of Ephesians. The beginning of the book of Ephesians is almost exclusively about salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is one of the clearest teachings about what salvation really is and really is all about. 
Um, I love that verse. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul explains explicitly and clearly that we are saved through the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. That it's not on, that it's not on what we do. It's not on our work. So it's this direction about salvation. He spends a good bit of the first part of Ephesians talking about how Jews and Gentiles alike are welcomed into the family of God because of what Christ has done for us. And if you've never accepted Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian. God's grace is available for you we are saved by grace through our faith in Jesus it's this it's this incredible gift of salvation and now we are part of one body we are part of the family of God and Gentiles now are welcome Paul says into the family of God and the promises given to Abraham thousands of years before it's a beautiful passage at the beginning of chapter 4 and I hope this week that you will read chapter 4 of Ephesians we're going to look at the tail end of it but the beginning of chapter 4 has some beautiful kind of teaching about what, what Paul says. Because of this, because of this, this salvation by grace, we are, we are born into this new, what, what he would call a way of life. This new way of life. And so, listen, if you got your Bibles at home, I just open them up to chapter 4. If you got them here, your app, take one of these Bibles if you don't have one on the bookshelves when you leave. Because I want you to read Ephesians 4 this week. He says that this, so he's going to talk about this new way of life. And this is a way of life for Gentiles and Jews to live together. This is a group of people that have been in conflict for centuries. There has been tension for centuries. They don't even socialize with one another. They don't like each other. They make jokes about one another. They, listen, they don't fit together. But Paul says now we have a new way of life in Christ. And at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul uses two words twice. These are the two words, unity and maturity. So he's teaching to these people, like, now that we are in Christ, now that we are part of the body of Christ, and we are saved by his grace through faith, Paul says that we become a people marked by unity, our unity is in Christ. Our unity is not that you're a Gentile or that you're a Jew or that you do this or you do that or this is your job and that's your... Our unity is, and because of this faith in us, we are growing together in maturity. This is the new way of life for those in Christ. Now, then he uses some really big churchy terms like peace and love and righteousness and holiness and humble it's kind of these big broad terms and it's easy to look at those terms and go like oh okay um, we're supposed to be righteous and holy and have unity and maturity but like Paul what does that mean <laughs> like those are big vague broad terms what does that mean on Monday? What does that mean when I get in an argument with someone? What does that mean when I disagree with someone? What does that mean when somebody hurts me or one of my family members? What does that mean when someone says something to grandma? What does that mean? So Paul spends the rest of chapter 4, the rest of this section, 
talking specifically about what unity and maturity and holiness and humility and living in peace with one another and living in love with one another looks like when family, when church family, when related family, when friends have conflict. So, listen to what it says. We're going to start in verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. So that's the context of what Paul is saying. He says, therefore, so see, you've got this whole broad, right? You've got all this broad, unity, maturity, holiness, righteousness. You're like, great, big, those, those, like, those sound good. Those are good answers in small group, right? But like, how do I live that out in everyday life? As Paul says, therefore, because we are people who are marked by unity and maturity and holiness, because we have a new way of life, Here's what it means in day-to-day interactions. Each of you, remember he's talking all to Christians. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Paul says we're family. And this is how family treats one another. We put off falsehood. Now, I don't think Paul is just saying, he's saying, listen, I want to get real specific. I'm not sure the problem that Paul is suggesting is lying. I think that's like, well, duh, we know we're not supposed to lie. He says we're to put, put off falsehood. The word in, in the Greek that Paul uses for falsehood is pseudos, and you get that, right? That I mean, we have a term that comes from this in our language. I mean, it means in a broad sense, the definition, whatever is not what it seems to be. We're kind of a pseudo-friend, pseudo-co-worker, pseudo-family. That's what happens when we bury conflict, doesn't it? We just sort of pseudo. We pretend that everything is okay. And Paul says, that's not, that's not how we do it in the body of Christ. It's one thing for love to cover offenses. Yes, love covers a multitude of sins. But it's another thing to pretend that everything is okay when it's not. It's another thing to put on falsehood. It's another thing to, to basically not tell the truth. Paul says, then you don't really have an authentic relationship. You have a pseudo relationship and you've got conflict that you haven't dealt with so when Emily and I were dating and uh, I went over to her apartment all right now I'm just gonna be we're gonna be real here okay can we be real today Did everybody agree to we be real so I went to use the restroom in her apartment and let's just say my aim was not stellar okay I told you we we're going to be real. I hope you can handle this. And, um, I mean, I grew up in a house of boys. All I have is a brother. This is all we've ever known. So, um, I, you know, I come out of the restroom. I don't even remember. We were watching a movie, eating dinner or something. And, you know, an hour later, she goes to the restroom. And um, she comes immediately out of the restroom. And she grabs my hand. You remember this? Yeah, yeah. 
She grabs my hand so gently, so kindly, and she walks me back to the restroom. And she says, the next time your aim isn't so good, here's the toilet paper. Would you mind wiping it up? We're dating. But it was so honest, it was so truthful, it wasn't putting on falsehood. And here's why this was so important. I knew at that moment that I had a keeper. Because those are the kinds of things when you bury them and you have an argument 30 years later and all of a sudden someone says, well, you've been peeing on the toilet for 30 years. <laughs> when all it took was to gently take their hand and speak truthfully instead of putting on falsehood. That's what it means. Here's what I think. Here's what I think that Paul knew is that deception deteriorates relationships. Deception deteriorates relationships. You can't be honest, you can't have an honest relationship if you're not honest with one another. It's a pseudo relationship. It's fake. It's not real. You can act like you like each other around the office or around the Thanksgiving table or around the house or in the neighborhood. But deception, it deteriorates relationships. Paul then in the next verse says, In your anger, don't put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to one another. Paul says, don't act like everything's okay. Speak truthfully to one another when you have a conflict. And then he says, in your anger, do not sin. The reason that's in quotation marks is he's actually quoting Psalm 4.4. The Jews that were reading this were like, I know that one. In your anger, don't sin. Paul is, it's interesting. He's basically saying if you bury your anger, if you put on falsehood and you don't let someone know you're angry about something, it will cause you to sin. It will begin to fester. Paul says it's not, an, it's not a sin to be angry. It's not a sin to be angry. Jesus was angry. So we know it's not a sin. It's not a sin to be angry that someone hurt you or someone hurt someone in your family. It's not a sin to be angry that someone betrayed you. It's not a sin to be angry at injustice and inequality in the world. It's not a sin to be angry when you see something that is wrong with the world. Paul doesn't say anger is a sin, but he says if you let anger hang around and you put on falsehood, it can lead to sin real quick. So what do we do with it? Paul says, don't bury it. Don't lie and say everything's fine. Handle it. And Paul warns quickly. The next part, he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Paul says, if I were you, I would do it today. He suggests not even let the sun go down. Make the call tonight. Have the conversation today. This becomes most prominent with family. Because we just show up at family get-togethers or we wake up and we just pretend everything's okay, don't we? Listen. How many times you had a lot of conversation in the car on the way to Thanksgiving, on the way to Christmas? Nobody talk about politics at the dinner table now. Nobody bring up race. Nobody bring up the vaccine. Nobody bring up mask. 
And for the love, nobody bring up football. <laughs> Just pretend everything's okay. Just eat your turkey and go home. Paul says, don't do that. Make the call today. We think that we're, we think by letting bygones be bygones, and I'm not talking about letting bygones be bygones, but we think by not dealing with it that it's just going to go away, but it becomes toxic in our souls. It's like dirty gym clothes in a zipped-up bag. And Paul says, um, it's worse than you think. Because when we do this, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Whoa. Paul says when you and I don't handle conflict, we are giving away free real estate to Satan in our heart. We're giving away free, we're signing the deed. We are giving the devil traction in our soul. It is that serious. Some people might ask, like, man, why are we doing a series on conflict? Because Paul says it's not just about conflict. When you don't deal with conflict, when you don't deal with all the stuff that it gets in you, it doesn't just do something to you. It does something inside you. It becomes toxic. Unresolved conflict, Paul says, doesn't disappear. It just digs deeper. And the one who is digging is the enemy. And Paul says, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to give the devil a spot in your heart. It's that serious. It's that serious. This is not the mature way. This is not the way to unity. This is not how those in Christ work, Paul would say. Those who follow Jesus are supposed to be better at this. Why? Paul would tell us, because we're marked by unity and maturity. Because we have the maturity, because we are unified in Christ, because we all know we're all on level ground at the foot of the cross. We're marked by that unity, and there's no conflict that God can't move in. Because we're all sinners. We learned that at the beginning. That's what I, Go back to the start of the letter, Paul would say. So the small solution is simple. Conflict, deal with it today. Deal with it today. What if you and I just said, I will be truthful, I will be honest, I, I will not bury it, I will not go to bed and lose sleep over it, I'm going to make the call. It's not letting, worth letting the devil crack open the door in my heart. So you might have that, that opportunity this week when you face conflict, and I would love, what if we just took this motto, I'm going to do with it today. Somebody says something I don't like, something happens I don't like, I get an email I don't like, I'm just going to deal with it today. But let's be real with one another. For some of our conflict today passed a long time ago. And you've got one that's been festering. You've got a family member you haven't talked to in years. A co-worker that you're avoiding. A neighbor that you just turn your head from and wave. Don't wave. A... Um, a spouse that you hadn't talked to about that thing that really bothered you, and let's be real, really real, an ex. 
and you're trying to work through like dealing with kids and what are you doing with that property you're trying to sell together or whatever and you're not going to reconcile the relationship but you haven't dealt with the conflict that happened what if you would deal with it today not let the devil have foothold in our hearts and then if you wonder like well Carter how in the world do I do that or Paul <laughs> how in the world do I do that well he closes it out with the passage that we've taught on before here at mountaintop but man it takes on such a richer meaning in the context of conflict Paul says do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You're dealing with conflict before the sun goes down. You're not going to let the devil have a foothold. Here's what you do. You're not going to go in calling them names, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So this phone call that you're going to make, this text that you're going to send, this letter that you're going to write, this conversation that you're going to have, if you are in Christ Jesus, Paul says, you're not going to put your needs first. You're only going to talk about what is helpful to them and building others up that it may benefit those who listen and Paul says and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption Paul says this is spiritual warfare in your heart and if you don't deal with this you are shoving the Holy Spirit out of his spot in your heart because you are giving the devil a foothold this is serious business Paul says so get rid of all bitterness rage and anger if you have ever thought I wish somebody would do to them what they did to me I wish somebody would do to their kid what they did to my kid Paul says get rid of that get rid of that and brawling and slander along with every form of malice Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is why we're better at this than anyone else, Paul says. Because at the end of the day, it is those who follow Jesus who have encountered the radical forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ and the cross. And if that has been real in your life, Paul says, then we are commanded to make it real in the lives of other people we encounter. We forgive because how could we not with how much we've been forgiven? How could we not? So be kind, be compassionate. And when you've said your peace in a loving way, forgive them. Not because they deserve it or because they say they're sorry or because it's been enough time. Because Christ forgave you. So, You need to unzip your heart today. It might smell, but it can smell good again. 
if you deal with it today. Because unresolved conflict doesn't disappear. It just digs deeper. But let today be the day that is unresolved no more. We're going to close with that new song that we learned with a little different twist. Because some of you are thinking like, man, I want to, Carter, but how in the world? You have no idea how hard this conflict is. You have no idea. I mean, what she said, what he said, what they did. You have no idea. I don't even know where to start. Well, here's, there's our, this is our prayer first and foremost. Before we pick up the phone, before we send a text, before we write a letter, before we schedule the coffee, this is our prayer. God, turn it around. Turn this thing around. This relationship that's been rocky, this tension that's been building at the office, this angst that's been building in our home, this conflict, Lord, before I do anything, Lord, I, this is going to be our prayer today. And what I just invite you to pray that, God, turn it around in the way that only you can. Heavenly Father, we're calling on the name, the name of Jesus. And whatever our conflict is, whatever's been festering in our heart, whatever we haven't dealt with, Lord, our prayer today is God turn it around. God turn it around. God turn it around. In Jesus' name.